Welcome to Love Your Library with Hampshire Libraries podcast. I'm Mary Stone here with my co-host Kate Price-McCarthy. Hello Kate. Hi Mary. We're coming to you today from Fairham Library which is over to the east of Hampshire on the northwest tip of Portsmouth Harbour. This episode's title is inspired by our guest Joanna Trollope who's talking to us about her 21st novel called An Unsuitable Match. Mary would you give us a bit of background about Joanna? Well, she's been writing fiction for more than 40 years, with some of her best-known books, including The Rector's Wife, which was her first number one bestseller, A Village Affair, Other People's Children, and Marrying the Mistress. She's also published romantic historical novels under the name of Caroline Harvey, a non-fiction book about women in the British Empire, and a modern retelling of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. She began writing, she says, to fill the long spaces after the children had gone to bed and for a time combined her writing career with working as a teacher. And if you're wondering, she is related to Anthony Trollope. She's the fifth generation niece of the Victorian novelist. As you'll hear in the interview, her books often centre on lives of the more wealthy and privileged in society. But like Jane Austen, she delves into tensions and dilemmas common to us all love, money and family disagreements. Let's hear what Joanna had to say when you met up with her to talk about her latest book, An Unsuitable Match. Here she is reading from the first chapter. Chapter one. He had said it. He had actually said the words. All right, he'd been half laughing, shaking his head as if he couldn't quite believe what he was saying and they'd been washing up at the time, so his hands had been in the sink, holding a saucepan to rinse it under the running tap. But all the same, he'd said, Do you know, Rose, I have to tell you that I don't think... No, I know that I have never felt like this before. Then he'd put the saucepan down on the counter and turned the tap off and said... I must have felt something like it with Cindy, I suppose. I must have, mustn't I? He'd picked up a tea towel to dry his hands. And he'd looked at her, straight at her. And he'd said again, But I've never felt like this. I've never felt about anyone as I do about you. She was standing by the central unit in her kitchen, the unit that housed the sink and the sleek glass hob, holding the salad bowl that they'd just eaten from, and that he had washed up by hand because she'd bought it 30 years before in Umbria and didn't think it would withstand the dishwasher. She said only, Oh, Tyler. He said, I mean it. She nodded without complete conviction. I, well, I know you do. He moved towards her and took the salad bowl out of her hands and set it down on the counter. Then he took her face in his hands. Rose Woodrow, he said, I'm in love with you. She nodded again. She felt something wild and wonderful surging up inside her, a mad kind of rapture. She said idiotically in a whisper, But I'm 64. So? I'm a grandmother. I'm 63, he said, interrupting. I could be 33 or 
93, it's irrelevant, completely, utterly irrelevant. You are who you are. And I am completely in love with that. Get it? She blinked. She said faintly, it's a kind of miracle. No, it isn't, he said. Well, I suppose it is in a way that we met again. She stepped back a pace and dislodged his hands. I meant, she said, that it's a miracle to me that you feel as you do. He took a step towards her and put his arms round her to prevent her retreating further. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. So can I start by asking you, could you tell us a bit about your latest book, An Unsuitable Match? Well, it's about late life remarriage. And I, when I say late life, I mean really quite late life, 60s or 70s. And it really grew out of several friends of mine saying to me that they were madly in love and they were going to get remarried, being of that advanced age myself. And so I said to my barrister daughter, have you got a legal friend, a solicitor friend, that I could go and talk to because I feel I must get the position of this, the whole legal position of this whole business straight before I even start on the emotional feelings of the situation. So I went to see this very nice woman in her 40s in a busy practice in Croydon. And she said to me, it's amazing, you know, she said, I've had... Um, about a 33% increase in the last decade of people over 65 coming to me and saying that they want to get remarried and what do they do to protect all their assets? And of course, by the time you're 65, you've got quite a lot of assets. You haven't just got property, you've got pensions, you might have art, you might have a boat, you might have a business together. You've got all kinds of things, never mind your children. And so I said to her, what, what do you advice do you give them from a legal point of view? And she said, well, the best legal advice I can give them is to say you need a prenup. And she said, without exception, men and women look at me with absolute dismay and they say, oh! But that's so unromantic. So this is really the situation that Rose and Tyler find themselves in at the beginning of this book. And then you have to factor in their children. Rose has got three, all in their 30s. And Tyler's got two in America. And they have very different they had very different upbringings and they have very different reactions to their parents wanting to get remarried. And that really is the story of the book. Thank you very much. I read recently that Phoebe Waller-Bridge 
hadn't expected people would make the assumption that Fleabag's family isn't based on her own family with all their foibles and so on. Do you get frustrated when people assume you've based characters' dilemmas and difficulties on people in your own family? Yes, I do in a way, but you have to say, as Phoebe said, you know, this is professional. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, I suppose speaking personally, I always hope that my own experience of life would inform and enrich everything I write. You know, I get more experienced as I get older. But no more than that. No more than that. Yeah. Absolutely not. Mm. I mean, she's writing professional stuff. I'm writing yeah. professional stuff. But I think it's more... When people assume that you're writing about your own life, it's more a reflection of them needing to be sanctioned. They need to have their own life decisions. The readers need to have their own life decisions sanctioned in, in her case, on a television series, in my case, in a novel. Okay. Um, the theme of independence, and not just financial independence, I love the way that Rose went on a course to be a handyman when she set about her house. That seems something, uh, that's a really strong theme for the book. And is that something you feel strongly about? Very personally? much so. Yeah. I personally, I find liberation is the most seductive thing of all. I don't really like the idea of belonging to anybody else. I know lots of people do find it an imperative. They, they long to belong to someone else. But I think the, that as far as women are concerned, this business of independence is incredibly important. Not before time. And we are really making strides. We're getting somewhere. And goodness, we're good at a lot of things. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love Even, that aspect of it. Um, at football, it seems. Yes. 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 They've done, it's been great to see them. Great to Hasn't see the it? support they're getting mm. as well. Brilliant. Um, I really love the character of Rosie's, Rose's sister, Prue, the yes. uh, retired head teacher. And although she's got this really um, kind of no-nonsense approach, I kind of felt she got to the nub of quite she a few. She does. Yeah, she, she was does. very perceptive. But there did seem to be, with her a little and with the other characters, this need to look after Rose all the time, as if yes. she, she needed it. But... Um, why do you think they felt this need to look after her? Well, I think it happens in life. I think there are nurturers among us, the human beings, who always need to go the extra mile. They always need to leave supper in the fridge. They, they're the first ones who, when somebody's ill or even if after a death, they're the first ones in there. They've got to do it. I think it's part of their human spirit, this need to be of service to other people. Mm. And there just are human beings like her. Yes, yes. And they are as fulfilled by what they do mm. for other people as anybody is. So that in a way, you don't need to thank them. Mm. Yes, because they're doing it to serve themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
I guess this is linked to the idea of independence, but the theme of money is quite a driver. Terribly important. Yes. And do you think this is something that becomes more important? Well, you were saying your assets are more when you get, as you get older. But then it also does give you, you talk about the sort of the freedom of, uh, and freedom of independence and dignity that, that money brings you as you get older as well. Well, I suppose it's always been traditionally the case down the centuries, that as you get older, to be impoverished is a deeply undignified Mm. state to be in. You know, there's the necessary vulnerability of getting older anyway, but then you add to that the fact that you can't decide and you are dependent upon the whim of other people. Mm. And it's just, it's not a very comfortable place to be. Yes. So I think, unfortunately, because um, we all believe quite rightly that money shouldn't dictate too much. And I think, again, you you know, to, to have too much is a very bad idea. I think it's as much of a trap as having none at all. But you need enough to make dignity and choices in your own life and to retain a level of independence and power, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Just independence, really. So you've got control over your life. I think so. Yes. Um, I was going to, I thoroughly enjoyed, I reread it recently, the update you did of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, which must have been such good fun to it do. It was huge fun to do. How, so how did you get involved in doing that in the first place? I was asked mm. by the editor who'd had the idea. Yeah. So I could pick anyone I liked. They yeah. suggested yeah. I would like to do Sense and Sensibility. Mm. And as it was Jane Austen's first novel, yeah. I leapt at it. Mm. Um, I stuck to her story like paint. I stuck to the characters like paint. Um, And I stuck, almost more importantly than anything, I stuck to Jane's attitude to the characters. Because if you think of Sense and Sensibility, there are only two people in it whom she doesn't tease. One is Eleanor Dashwood, and the other is Colonel Brandon. Mm. Everybody else is up for mockery. Mm. Even Marianne is up for mockery. And she does remorselessly. She makes fun of all of them. The only difficulty, in because it, it was published in 1809 and it was updating it to 2013, the only thing that was really difficult, because the characters all translate absolutely mm. seamlessly. Yeah. You know, um, Nancy, what she called the two sisters, Nancy and Lucy. Oh, the, 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 yeah, Steele. They are straight out of the only way is Essex, mm. Essex you know, particularly yeah. Nancy. They, all of them translate absolutely to modern types. It's part of Jane Austen's yeah. genius. The only thing that was difficult was that they all had to have jobs, the idleness. Yes. And the fact that it was kind of grand and gentle in the class sense mm. to have nothing to do wouldn't fit. So they all had to have jobs. Yeah, and that did, it seemed quite natural in the way you did structure that, the, the, the careers that they were, they were looking at and going into, and the difficulties of getting into those careers. Yes, Being based exactly. where they were, yeah. No, I loved it, really enjoyed it. Good. Um, and it's, so you obviously still get a lot out of writing. 
what is it, 21st oh, with, novel? Without question. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, that's the 21st novel. Yeah. I think um, I will never run out of things to write about because my books are really modern handbooks for how to live life nowadays. And as long as human beings go on behaving as, they're <laughs> going to, as they seem to be, I shall never run out of things yeah. to write about. So the next one is going to be, I suppose it's really the, the, the shorthand way of describing it is it's about the Sandridge generation. Okay. So your parents are living so long nowadays because modern medicine has improved so that they are beginning to fall to pieces one end of your life. This is women in their 40s. And the other end of your life, your children are needy and demanding and quite complicated. Mm. And you are still... You probably have got a full-time job as a woman, but society, which is very old-fashioned in its expectations, it still expects you to take on all the caring role. So the moment that everything goes up, you know, the balloon goes up, society looks to you, the woman, to pick up the pieces. It's what my daughter calls the triple shift. It is exactly that. The emotional, the domestic... And the work as well. It is yeah. that, yeah. Mm. It is. Oh, I shall really look so forward to that. So it's called Mum and Dad, and it's out, I think, probably late February. Lovely. Because I think the new Hilary Mantle is out in early March. And so there'll be a great rush of publishers to produce books around that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that will quite rightly sweep all before ah. it. There's always room for another one on the shelf, yeah. I was quite intimidated to meet her and felt a real scruff sitting next to her. But she was lovely, really warm and approachable. Joanna gave us our inspiration for a book choice this week. We thought of choosing one of the Barchester Towers novels written by her distant cousin, Anthony Trollope. And we could have chosen another writer who's retold Jane Austen's stories. Val McDiarmid's done a version of Northanger Abbey and there's a contemporary version of Emma written by Alexander McCall-Smith. Plus, there's P.D. James's sequel to Pride and Prejudice after Pemberley. Or, of course, we could have picked one of Austen's original novels. In the end, I left the choice up to the team at Fairham Library, where Kate Oliver picked up Joanna's theme of lost love refound in her choice, Never Greener, by Ruth Jones. You'll hear what they thought of that choice in the next segment of the podcast. Hello, with me today at Fairham Library are three members of the library team here, Sarah Allen, Leanne Perry, and another Kate, Kate Oliver. Sarah, would you start us off? What is your book selection? My book selection is Where Do You Go, Bernadette by um, Maria Semple. I read it a few years ago, actually, because it was shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. And although it didn't win, I absolutely loved this book. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I just loved the cover. I loved the blurb. But when I actually read the book, it was just blew me away, actually. It's not written in a conventional style at all. You learn about Bernadette um, and her family and what happens and why she disappears through emails, documents, reports, school reports, all sorts of things. And the only person, if you like, talks to the reader yeah. is B, her daughter, and she's the only voice 
actually you hear. Um, everything else is through and documentation. And she's about 15, is she? I think she's yeah, about she is. Yeah, she is. Yeah, well, no, she's coming, she's going to start senior school quite soon because she's going to go off to boarding school because oh, her yeah. mum really doesn't want her to go. And their relationship between the mum and daughter, Bernadette and Bee, is very, very close mm. because it is about communication. It's also about knowing each other and understanding each other and self-knowledge. And the weird thing is the way that they all communicate through letter or email or phone or text or whatever leads to miscommunication and actually when they talk face to face they actually do miscommunicate even more and like her husband Elgin just doesn't understand Bernadette and Bernadette and Audrey's relationship is the funniest thing but because of Audrey's interference she causes a, her own disaster in her life and um, she's very um, judgmental um, and she also pushes Bernadette towards a disappearance yeah. however you do feel some sensitivity towards mm. Audrey because as you learn as the book goes on she has her own problems in her life mm. and um, in fact towards the end of the book Audrey does actually assist Bernadette in some ways. There is redemption. There yes. is redemption yes. yes which is yes which surprised me we won't go into any more detail but yeah. I loved the surprise of it. Yes yeah. yeah Elgin I found at the beginning which is the husband, husband yeah, yeah. I couldn't connect with his character at first, and I think Maria Semple did that deliberately because in the second half of the book, after Bernadette has disappeared, his relationship with his daughter builds, and because as the, at the beginning of the book, they never see Elgin, he's always working, yeah. he's a top Microsoft technology person, and he does his TED talk, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, and through this TED talk, you learn about him, and you find out that he's actually a really nice, sensitive man. He's very kind. He does have some mistakes with his assistant that he shouldn't have done, um, Sue Lin. Her character develops as well. She starts off as Audrey's sidekick, and her character changes throughout the book. I just hugely recommend it to recommend it to everyone to read it. It's it just it's really funny. It's dark, but it's also quite sad, and it look makes you think about our own way that we mm. deal with other people and how yeah. we we make snap judgments without we finding do. out about them. So, yeah. yeah, I I absolutely loved it, and I hadn't heard about it before. So thank you so much for the recommendation. It kind of reminded me. I was thinking it does remind me of something and I, the closest I could come to was something like a John Irving book where you get these eccentric characters and that the plot is very deftly done so it ends up with these, this kind of crazy prop that goes all over the place but then neatly comes together in the end and you go, oh yeah, that's just perfect. And it made me really want to go to Seattle and find out more about the culture at Microsoft. It also, we haven't touched on this, but Antarctica is a key oh, part yes. of the book, oh, yeah. which you know, can't talk about too much because it features in the book, yeah. but really made me want to go to Antarctica. Yeah. I mean, I guess beyond my wildest dreams, but I, I find it funny, I find it a bit weird, sometimes quite sad. Mm. Um, but no, thank you very much. It was uh, unforgettable characters in this really unique storyline. So a great read, which I would highly recommend. We've been talking about Where Do You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. Okay, Leanne, your turn. What's your book choice for us today? Um, my book is Normal People by Sally Rooney and I picked this book because it was the winner of the Costa Novel Award and it's on our fastbacks so I've seen loads of copies here, there and everywhere. Our fastbacks are like our quick reads that come in and out of the library quite a lot and I've just seen it everywhere. I really liked the cover and it just looked like a nice interesting book. Um, and this book is about uh, Connell and Marianne. Um, who they meet at a very young age um, while they're both at school but they're both in completely different 
um, social situation. Marianne is very um, closed and unpopular and doesn't really have any friends at school and sort of keeps herself to herself. Um, Connell's the popular kid, the cool kid, head of the football team, sort of really has a massive group of friends and a, and a reputation, if you like, within the school. Whereas um, Marianne's from the privileged background. Yes, so how they meet is that Connell's mum is actually the cleaner for Marianne's family. And that's how they meet when he goes to pick his mum up from her house and then he just sort of hangs around and is intrigued by this interesting character who he's just in, in, interested by her and how she holds herself and what she's reading and how she presents herself to the rest of the world and that she doesn't care and he can't get around how little she does care about what people think about her. It is just a lovely story about their life and how they grow up and how they try to grow away from each other but they always come back to each other and, and it touches on a lot of different areas and difficult subjects as well I think so there's a lot about mental health in there and about Connell seeking assistance and and help from others and, and how he deals with situations. Um, there's things about um, like abusive relationships and addiction, addicted relationships. And I think it was just a nice, it was just a nice read, a nice love story and about young people and how they committed to each other, but then they've also got their own lives to to live as well. Yeah, their relationship um, kind of stops and starts. Stops and, and starts and the tables turn as yeah. well when they go to college um, and then they find again, he isn't in a position that he's comfortable with, yeah. with not being so popular. Um, and she suddenly becomes... And she becomes this blooming, yeah. popular, intelligent, clever character in it, which she always is, but um, it's more apparent to him and maybe that opens his eyes mm. to how interesting... And it, yeah, it follows them from the sort of small town yeah. in Ireland to Trinity Dublin College in yeah. Dublin, yeah. Yeah, so, and there was a couple of quotes that I have picked from it that I don't think will ruin it. There was one of them that I thought, oh, I can't <laughs> Too much of a use because it was the, sort of towards the end of the book. Um, and this was from Connell's point of view. And it says, there's always been something inside her that men wanted to dominate and their desire for domination can look so much like attraction and even love. And I just thought that was quite, because she has so many different relationships and how they change and turn and, and how she feels about herself. And I thought that was a really nice view of her love sort of trust and mm. issues and the domination in her relationships and I thought it was a really interesting book and I read it really really quickly and I wanted to know what happened even though she has a tough time you do feel really like protective over her as a character and there's another quote as well it's funny the decisions you make because you like someone he says and then your whole life is different I think that we're at a weird age where life can change a lot from a small decision and I think that's completely true because they go through so many massive milestones in their life of leaving school and leaving college and changing friendships and losing people and gaining friends and traveling and, and things like that and I I've traveled and experienced things like that it was just a nice way to look at it through someone else's eyes as well yeah that's nice yeah I think uh, uh, the because it's about young people at school and then at college people might mistake it for a, a YA young adult mm. in fact but I've got teenagers 17 and 19 and they both absolutely loved it yeah but it it's no, I don't want to denigrate young adult fiction, but it's much more than that. It is yeah. uh, oh, it's it's a, really, absolutely yeah. a brilliant novel, I yeah. think. Um, really emotionally intense. Yeah. It reminded me of um, 
the one day by David Nichols, mm. and that that was one day. Yeah. But this, she kind of dives in on these pivotal moments um, for the characters. Yeah. So it might be three weeks, six weeks, a yeah, year. Yeah, it sort of goes through months, doesn't yeah. it? And, and then it might be five minutes later. Yeah. It's just whenever there's something really uh, emotionally intense that's yeah. happened. Uh, and that, uh, and she, so she kind of cuts through all the uneventful bits of life and gives yeah. us these really intense moments that are told with such precision. We had some young girls in asking for it yesterday and yeah, I know that she's written another book that I'd, I'd really like to read as well. Yeah, I haven't read that yet. What is it? Conversation with Friends with was friends, her other one yeah. and it got really good. Yeah. Um, and she's just sort of listed now as a quite an up-and-coming yeah. young, modern author. I think that might be the problem for her in some ways because there's been now, because of the award she's won, yeah. there's quite a lot of hype and people are saying, oh, she's the new J.D. Salinger. And, yeah. and so you can see that when I was looking back through some of the reviews for it loads and loads of five stars and then yeah. some people just say I cannot understand the hype, yeah. don't like it at all. Yeah. So it won't suit everyone. No. And uh, they are currently making a television series yes. of it, which will be interesting to see. Yeah. I think maybe it's going to be on BBC, but um, but yeah, couldn't see the details yeah. of it. And Marianne, the main character in it, yeah. is going to be played by one of the daughters in Cold Feet. We've been talking about Normal People by Sally Rooney. I'm Kate Price McCarthy, and you're listening to the Hampshire Libraries podcast coming today from Fairham Library. Okay, I'm going to turn to you, other Kate. <laughs> um, what book are you sharing with us? Well, I chose Never Greener by Ruth Jones. The main reason why I chose it was because Ruth Jones is the um, co-script writer of the Gavin and Stacey series, which I just adored. Mm. It's about um, a couple called Kate and Callum. Um, they meet when they're younger and they have a passionate affair. Um, Kate is a young actress. Um, Callum is 17 years her senior, so there is a bit of an age gap. Then they meet again by chance um, years later and inevitably they rekindle their romance. It's sort of sort of two forces coming together, really. It's sort of an unstoppable thing. This moment in time, Kate's an, Kate's an actress. She's really highly strung. She's, she's also a big celebrity at this she's point. She's a big celebrity, so obviously she's very demanding. She comes with an entourage. You know, she, she has, um, you know, autographs in the street and everything like that, so she's a, she's a big thing. Um, Callum is a teacher in Edinburgh, and he's married with three children. Um, Kate is also married with a young daughter. Um, and, yeah, they, they just meet again by chance, and obviously, you know, they rekindle their affair. In a, in a way, that's that's sort of the, the story in a nutshell. Obviously, with these things, there's they're going to be found out, you know, yeah. it's going to happen. There's um, no way it's going to finish no, with them of course. No, still they, they continuing. Not walking off into the sunset, of course mm. it's not, but then you know that's going to happen, so there is a predictability about the book because you know that, you know, affairs can't can't last forever without something happening. But there's happening. that tension all the yes. time of how yeah. is it going to? Yeah, yeah. Mm. and you, you sort of start the book by thinking, how can they not be together because they're such an amazing couple, they're obviously very intensely into each other, you know, regardless of all the other people that are going to get hurt, these two people need to be together. Mm. But actually, the more you learn about the characters, um, the more you learn about how they um, how they sort of conduct their lives, you think actually, in a way, they don't deserve to be together. Mm. You know, they're not nice people, but, you know, they're trying hard. And it's, it's just really, really interesting. The wife of Callum, Belinda, is brilliantly portrayed and she's such a lovely character and it, it's a shame that more wasn't really made of it in the book she um you know she's very understanding i mean whether she knew it was going to happen and you know just kind of accepts that this is going to be the situation and she's this sort of strong 
Welsh woman married yes. to the Scottish Callum, mm. which you uh, inevitably you kind of think that's got to be close to to Ruth Jones's heart from yes, her Welsh you do background. Get, yeah. You do get the feeling that Belinda, there's a lot of her in Belinda. Um, yeah. You know, did you the way to her as you were reading it, I did. I was going to say, yes. did you picture Ruth yeah. Jones knowing her as a, a the way she the way she describes the yeah. character? Then yes, definitely. And oh, you know, cool. I don't know who the Kate character is based on, but you know, you you definitely get that feeling. But mm. she's just such a such a great person and. Yeah, not much comes through because she's almost in the background, you know, being being the wife of of the, the man having the affair. You you don't really mm. sort of find out much as you would like about her, but she's she's still very you know very interesting. Yeah, I think that was um, there was there was a lot of things that were touched on that mm. I'd have liked to have known more about. Yes. and she was one of those characters. I'd like mm. to have known more about her story arc. Maybe mm. Ruth will. Jones will carry on and write some more mm. about Belinda, but I thought she was yeah. yeah, she was a great character. Essentially, it's not a new story; it's the yeah. same story, but um, you know that lots of people have written about over the years. But she's she's just got a diff maybe a different take mm. on it because of the the celebrity side of things. The the character of Belinda is more obviously a portrait of mm. uh, of, of Ruth Jones. The aspects of um, being a celebrity, yes. as Kate, the actress, is, is um, you've again. I felt that was very personal to Ruth mm. Jones' own experiences of having to make this sort of false bonhomie and mm. be smiling and joking all the time, even if you felt miserable, mm. and being trapped into that situation. Mm. And there's also got this eccentric character, Hetty. Oh, yes, I love Hetty. Yes. Hetty is Kate's husband, Matt, and Matt and Hetty went to university together. And she's she's just lovely, and she she's the best friend that you want. And when Matt's world is falling around around him, you know Hetty is there. She's searching for the perfect boyfriend, and she's very particular. And then she does actually meet somebody. But again, you know, you, you kind of find yourself wanting when the Hetty bits came along you think oh brilliant this is great because she just brings a freshness and sort of a different perspective to what's going on because of maybe because of her screenwriting background mm. there were lots of really strong characters yeah. who went in different directions and each one I wanted to know a bit more about and I was never quite sure mm. first of all I thought oh Belinda's going to be the protagonist oh no it's still Callaman and uh, maybe a firmer hand to have given a more of a shape to the story um, would have made it uh, would have made me be even more enthusiastic about it um, and and you know she does write beautifully she does um, write very very well and yeah. it, you know it, it I it was one of those books where I found myself looking forward to reading thinking oh brilliant I'll, I'll get to read the book tonight and you know I'd read more chapters than I intended to and you know it is one of those books that you know although you know what's going to happen essentially um, with the plot you, you just think well I, I do just want to know and I do care about this mm. what happens and the characters and I do want to get to the end because you know, it's it was very well written. So, we've been talking about Never Greener by Ruth Jones, published by Bantam Press, Normal People by Sally Rooney, published by Faber and Faber, and Where Do You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple, published by Wadenfield and Nicholson. All of which are available through Hampshire Libraries and through our free download service, Borrowbox. And if you read any of the books we've talked about today, let us know what you think by clicking the link in our podcast details, where you'll find all the books discussed.
Thanks for listening to Love Your Library, the Hampshire Library's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you want to hear other interviews and book recommendations. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts. We'll always read and respond to any questions or suggestions. And do let us know if you've read and enjoyed or hated any of the books we've talked about. And it would be great if you'd rate and review our podcast on iTunes as this helps other people to find us. Don't forget to come and see us. You'll always be welcomed whether you've come in to borrow a book hire a room, or just to find a peaceful place to study. The best thing you can do to support your local library is to use it. I'm Kate Price-McCarthy. And I'm Mary Stone.